DiscerningHearts.com, in cooperation with the Oblates of the Virgin Mary, presents A Biblical Way of Praying the Mass with Father Timothy Gallagher. Father Gallagher is a member of the Oblates of the Virgin Mary. He's the author of numerous books on the spiritual teaching of St. Ignatius of Loyola, as well as the teachings of Venerable Bruno Lanteri, including The Biblical Way of Praying the Mass, The Eucharistic Wisdom of Venerable Bruno Lanteri, the book on which this series is based. A Biblical Way of Praying the Mass, with Father Timothy Gallagher. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. Welcome back, Father Gallagher. Thank you once again, Chris. This is a very poignant time in the Mass, I think. And I don't know if we realize how important it is. The Agnus Dei, the Latin, we know as the Lamb of God. So I'm going to kind of back into this one too, as we've been doing with some other parts of the Mass, approach it in this way. I'm sure I've mentioned in preceding conversations that I was provincial for the United States province of our Oblates of the Virgin Mary community for about 10 years. And I'll always remember the beginnings of that because my studies were in spiritual theology. And and here I was, I think I was about 37 at the time, which is pretty young for a provincial suddenly faced with a wide array of legal and financial and organizational kinds of issues for which I had no background. I had to scramble. Thank God I was able to find people who were skilled in those areas. I can't say that I always handled all of those with the perfection of a seasoned provincial in those areas, but one thing always gave me peace through the years, And that was that I knew that whatever my limitations, I was sincerely trying to do my best. Until the last year of my 10 years as provincial, when an opportunity for a rich ministry opened up for us, and we lost it. But this time, I I could not say that I had not been myself to some degree a contributing factor in our loss of that opportunity. And there were relational issues and some tensions that had been sort of there for some time that came to the fore and complicated that whole process. And with that burden on my heart, I went to speak to my spiritual director, and his words meant so much to me that I wrote them down, and uh, I'll read them now. And he said, well, Father Tim, he said, this is what mercy is when we are at fault and there are real consequences. And that's exactly how I felt about this situation. I'm at fault, and there are real consequences. Something's been lost. Then he said, God touches this situation. We sincerely express our sorrow, and he forgives us. And that is that. It's over. That was the first comforting thing, that uh, just to have that said to me again, you know, we bring our sorrow to the Lord, he forgives us, and, and it's over. You know, wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. But then here's the part that really struck me. So uh, we express our sorrow and he forgives us and that is that and it's over. And he can give us something better than what was lost. He can bring good out of this troubled situation. Now, at the time that he said those words, they were somewhat comforting, but they were counsels given to me by my spiritual director. But over the course of the following year, I experienced actually the truth of his words. Because through unforeseen circumstances, the possibility of that ministry opened up again. 
And this time I went about it in a different way. There was some difficult and very honest and open communication that was both demanding and healing and really uh, blessed the remainder of my time as provincial and I think has blessed us ever since then, even with my successor and what followed. And we were able to begin with that ministry, which has in fact proved very fruitful. And not only that, not only did it open up again, but now those relational tensions that had been simmering because they'd never really been addressed, now they had been addressed. And the relationships were stronger and better than they'd been before with all the blessings that that brought for the future. And then I remembered my spiritual director's words. We're at fault. There are consequences. We ask God's forgiveness. He gives it to us. On that level, it's over. But then God, this is what mercy means, that God can then step into that situation of our fault, our sinfulness, our failure, whatever it is, and bring something better out of it than would have happened had we never sinned or failed and so forth. That now is my understanding of mercy, and I want to express it through a single sentence of St. John Paul II's encyclical on mercy, Dives in Misericordia, Rich in Mercy. Now, it's a real uh, John Paul II sentence. You could write a book on it. It's dense with its meaning and its content, but I'll read it, and then we'll go back over it. It's the one sentence in this document that I go back to more than any other. The true and proper meaning of mercy. So he's going to tell us what mercy really is. All right, first, what it is not. It does not consist only. It does consist in this, but not only in looking, however penetratingly and compassionately, at moral, physical, or material evil. Now, what is mercy in its full sense? Mercy is manifested in its true and proper aspect when it restores to value, promotes, and draws good from all the forms of evil existing in the world and in man. So let's parse that sentence out and break it down a bit here. The true and proper meaning of mercy. So what's going to follow is St. John Paul II's understanding of what, uh, not a partial meaning of mercy or one or another of its attributes, but the full, true, and proper meaning, which specifies it in its truest essence. So the true and proper meaning of mercy does not consist only, because it does consist in this, but not only. It does not consist only in looking. Now, that's already a powerful thing. I think we quoted earlier Simone Weil, who says that love in its essence is attention. It's, it's emptying, the person empties him or herself of his or her own concerns and anxieties and issues simply to receive the other as the other is in the fullness of the other's person and situation. So the true and proper meaning of mercy does not consist only in looking, although it very much does mean this. How? Looking how? Looking however penetratingly and compassionately, which is already a lot. Here is a person who comes into my day. I just meet this person at work or a family member, and I notice something. And I look at this person. I don't uh, just pass this person by without even seeing in in any real sense, in any relational sense of this person. But I actually see this person, and I see this person penetratingly. That is with deep understanding. 
of this person's situation. And not only penetratingly, but compassionately, my heart goes out to this person in a warm and loving way. Now, this is already a beautiful thing to notice the person who approaches me, who comes into my day, both with penetration, with real understanding of this person. You know, whenever we receive that from someone, we know how much that means to us. He understands me. She understands me. And then not only understandingly, but compassionately with warmth and with love. But the true and proper meaning of mercy does consist in that, but not only. So uh, the true and proper meaning of mercy does not consist only in looking, however penetratingly and compassionately, at moral, or he names three kinds of evil, moral, physical, or material evil. So moral evil. So I look with understanding and compassion to one who is maybe far from God or who has fallen into sin in a moment of weakness, in an ongoing kind of way, or physical evil, disease, hunger, death, lack of basic material needs, or material evil, so poverty, uh, lack of housing, a tsunami or an earthquake and all the destruction that, or a fire and all that follows this. So the true and proper meaning of mercy does not consist only in looking with, with understanding and with compassion and warmth of heart at these different forms of evil. And I just want to pause here to say that understanding of mercy, even though it's incomplete, as the Holy Father uh, will go on to say, is already really great. If every one of us did that, if I did that, you know, with those who come into my life, uh, what a powerful thing would be. It's kind of like um, the Good Samaritan. The others pass by and they don't see, but he does see. And he sees penetratingly and compassionately in a way that moves him to act. But there's still more in the true and proper meaning of mercy. And so now the Holy Father goes on to say, mercy is manifested in its true and proper aspect, so in its fullest meaning, when it restores to value, when it steps into that situation of evil and overcomes it. Here's the value that's been lost. Here is the person steeped, let's say, in moral evil who just feels terrible about him or herself and the sense that I've lost any possibility of the kind of relationship with others in my family, let's say, or with God that I would have wanted. No mercy in its true and proper aspect restores to value what has been lost. And not only, when it restores to value and promotes. So it not only makes up for what was lost and restores it, but it even goes beyond that. And in addition, it adds something more. Promotes, and then this is the striking thing, and draws good. So we bring our wounds to God, our sinfulness, our failures, and all their real consequences and all of this, this the moral, physical, and material evil, we bring this to God and he draws good out of it. Think, for example, of the uh, early life of St. Ignatius or St. Augustine, those wayward years, decades in their lives, so far from God and steeped in sin. And now once they bring their lives back to God, what a blessing those years in their lives meant certainly for them uh, with this immense gratitude to God that fills their life ever since. But what a, a powerful witness for countless people down through the centuries in the church as well. Of course, the greatest example of this is what we sing in the Exalted on Holy Saturday evening. You know that 
oh, a happy fault, oh, necessary sin of Adam that merited so great a redeemer and so forth. So mercy is manifested in its true and proper aspect when it restores to value, promotes, and draws good out of all the forms of evil. So there's no form of evil that um, mercy cannot not only heal, but actually bring a greater good into the person's life or into the world because that evil happened, but that evil now brought to God and to his mercy from all the forms of evil existing in the world and in man. And you know, as I was going through this, even in the writing uh, of the book, it dawned on me that here is the reason why St. John Paul II could repeat so endlessly to the world, do not be afraid. How can we possibly be afraid, no matter what we've done, where we've been, what's happening in our lives, when this mercy is always there waiting for us? Mercy understood in its true and proper meaning, as, as the Pope describes it here. Now, as I mentioned, this is to sort of back into what Venerable Bruno is going to say as he invite, how he invites us to live the part of the Mass in which we do ask God's mercy repeatedly in the Lamb of God, um, take away the sins of the world, have mercy. Venerable Bruno writes this, At the Lamb of God, I will seek the sentiments and the heart of one who is guilty and in need of forgiveness. Now, like with the preceding part of the Mass, the Our Father, I've uh, spelled out in a phrase what is actually one word in the original Italian. So what Venerable Bruno says is that I will, at the Lamb of God, I will seek the heart and the sentiments of uh, 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 reo, reo, R-E-O, three, uh, three letters. And I'll uh, translate from a classic Italian dictionary the meaning of reo in Italian. So reo is one who has, quote, committed an act or behaved in a way that is against the law and is subject to a legal penalty. Now, when we transfer that, as Venerable Bruno does, to the spiritual realm, What that means, we're asking for the heart and sentiments of one who knows that he or she has acted contrary to Jesus' teaching of self-centeredness, anger, impatience, lack of charity, any one of the seven capital sins and their manifestation in act. Who knows that he or she has acted in this way, brings this awareness to Jesus, the Lamb of God, and seeks that wonderful gift of mercy that we've just described. That's the attitude of heart Venerable Bruno is inviting us to pray for as we uh, say this threefold invocation, Lamb of God, you take away the sins of the world, have mercy on us, have mercy on us, grant us peace. We'll return to A Biblical Way of Praying the Mass with Father Timothy Gallagher in just a moment. Father Timothy Gallagher is offering Teaching Discernment, a seminar to prepare teachers of Ignatian Discernment. This is an incredible opportunity for individuals who wish to share the 14 roles in programs of spiritual formation, parish groups, in the home with friends, and any similar setting. The seminar dates are May 19th through the 21st at St. Stephen the Martyr Catholic Church in Omaha, Nebraska. To sign up, go to discerninghearts.com. Space is limited, so sign up today. A prayer for the intercession of Venerable Bruno Lanteri. O Father, fountain of all life and holiness, you gave Father Bruno Lanteri great faith in Christ your Son. 
a lively hope, and an act of love for the salvation of his brethren. You made him a prophet of your word and a witness to your mercy. He had a tender love for Mary, and by his very life he taught fidelity to the church. Father, hear the prayer of your family, and through the intercession of Father Lanteri, grant us the grace for which we now ask. May he be glorified on earth, that we may give you greater praise. We ask this through your Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. We now return to A Biblical Way of Praying the Mass with Father Timothy Gallagher. This type of mercy is such a tremendous gift to us. And God is so generous in bestowing this grace upon us, especially when we approach him with a contrite heart. But it's also, from what I heard you describe of John Paul's teaching, it's the type of mercy we're called upon to offer others when we see them in need. And that's difficult. I, it is for me. I, I'm, I'm maybe some others out there, especially when you see those who, as the world may see in their actions, those who participate in what appears to be a great evil. I'm trying to choose my words carefully because I can't determine what brought them to this particular point. But for me to offer that type of mercy, and I think we've had examples, haven't we, Father Gallagher, of saints now, even in our modern time, who have done that, whether it was John Paul himself embracing the man who shot him, or Mother Teresa in her multiple conversations with those who the world would look at and say, why are you sharing a meal with them? (laughs) It's a challenge for us as individuals, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's really said. You know, be merciful as your heavenly Father is merciful. Uh, should you not also have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? Yeah, it's all there in the scriptures. Two memories are coming to mind as you uh, as you say this. The priest who was our novice master, who just turned ninety-nine, remarkable man, really, really a good witness, and one to whom I'm very, very grateful. He was from about halfway up the Italian peninsula, close to the eastern coast, but it's a mountainous area from a little town there. He would tell us of the story of there was a woman whose son had just walked out at one point, and she was elderly, and she lived alone just out in this rural area, and she never closed the front door of her house. And people would say, you know, you really ought to be more careful. You never know who could come by and Uh, what might happen. And her answer was always the same. When my son comes back, I want him to find the door open. Mm. You know, it's just a beautiful image of the kind of mercy that God has. And as you say, that we're called to have. The other memory is something I read in the writings of uh, the poet Robert Frost once. And he's commenting on Jonah, on Jonah's anger when the city repents and it's not destroyed. And he remember the, the tree that shades him and then it withers and God says, you were angry that you lost the tree. What about all of these people who don't know their right hand from their left hand and so on? But Robert Frost comments on that, that um, Jonah knew 
that the one thing that uh, God would always do, in a sense, his frustration came out of this, is that God would be merciful. Uh, he knew that that was going to happen. You know, when he made his announcement and uh, the people in whatever measure turned back to him, there would be no destruction. So I think it really is blessed for us, you know, rich in mercy. That's the title of uh, John Paul II's encyclical. From the, it's the letter to the Ephesians, I think, you know, the father who is rich in mercy. It's really good for us to think of that. And I'd say even as we watch what's happening around us in the world, a lot of which is very worrisome, and a lot of, of things, harmful things, evil things are there. But here is this God whose door is always open, you know, always, always available, and whose mercy is the kind of mercy that John Paul II describes that not only brings things back to level, as it were, undoes the negative, but then pours out a richness, grace uh, in the place of that sinfulness or failure. So it, it really is heartening. And in terms of the Mass, yeah, what if we prayed the Lamb of God with the awareness that this with all of our failures and sinfulness and sense of helplessness, and I keep falling into this and I never seem to improve, this is the mercy that awaits me. And receiving this mercy, this is the mercy that I'm called to share with others. What a powerful part of the Mass this would be for us. I think that's the opportunity for grace that Venerable Bruno and you as well invite uh, those who will take the time to ponder uh, carefully, slowly, these reflections on every line, not only of the Mass, but especially in this teaching, as we're speaking of now, of uh, St. John Paul. Because when you do that, it helps us I mean, to allow it to take root in our hearts. And maybe it already has, but maybe it just pours water on it and helps it to grow. Yes, well, that's really the function of meditation. And we talked about this before. When you couple the Mass and meditation, something powerfully happens because the Mass flows at a pretty rapid pace, you know, most, unless maybe it's a high kind of Mass with a lot of singing and, and, and so forth. The parts succeed one another at a continuous pace. And that's really the whole point of this book. And now these, these conversations that we're having is to slow down that pace. So that outside of the actual structure of Mass, we have time to go through it part by part and really assimilate its meaning, which can make all the difference then when we're actually in Mass. And all the more if we do this repeatedly, because this is not just here at once and now it's all assimilated and something that we'll put into practice, but like prayer itself and all things human, actually, we learn it, we absorb it, probably return to refresh it from time to time. And then repeatedly, Mass after Mass, begin to put this into practice. That's how it will, will grow, you know, and change the way we, we pray the Mass. So that's the goal of slowing things down a bit so that our, our hearts have, and minds have time really to assimilate them well. Let's turn to the Bible for examples of the prayer of a reo in this way. Probably the classic biblical example is Psalm 51 which is presented to us as David's prayer after he has sinned with Bathsheba and Nathan has come to him. He recognizes his sin uh, sincerely, openly before the Lord. And the Bible presents Psalm 51 as the prayer that he makes in this circumstance. 
you might wish at this point even to stop this recording and uh, get the Bible and just pray through Psalm 51. We'll, we'll just include a few of its verses here. I invite us to slowly, from the heart, receive these words and let them express sentiments of our own heart. I think if we do that, uh, it will bless our prayer of the Lamb of God at Mass itself. Have mercy on me, God, in accord with your merciful love. I turn to you and to the merciful love that I know fills your heart. In your abundant compassion, blot out my transgressions. Blot out. Remove thoroughly. Cleanse me with hyssop that I may be pure. Make me clean Make me pure. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Spiritually, whiter than snow. You will let me hear gladness and joy. Joy in place of my heaviness of heart. My sacrifice, O God, is a contrite spirit. A contrite spirit the sincere, humble heart of a Rio, which draws upon it God's mercy. A contrite, humbled heart, O God, you will not scorn. Our God receives such prayer from such hearts. I'll invite us also to pray with another lovely psalm. This is Psalm 130. Uh, Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. A psalm that St. Alphonsus Liguori loved. In fact, I, I was once a guest for a few days at a Redemptorist parish. They had the Mass in the morning. It was a fairly good-sized uh, chapel outside of the church. And uh, written on the front of the altar in Latin were these words that St. Alphonsus really loved. Copiosa apudeum redemptio with him is abundant redemption. And it was a lovely thing. As we processed in for Mass every day, all the way up the aisle, we were seeing those words. And of course, the people were seeing them continuously throughout the entirety of the Mass. And they are the first words of this Psalm 130, which is another biblical instance, a very rich biblical instance of the prayer of Areo, you know, one who recognizes uh, his or her fault, sin, uh, brings it with a humble recognition to the Lord, asking for this beautiful gift of mercy we've been describing. So I invite you now to pray this from the heart as it is slowly read. Out of the depths I call to you, Lord. From that place of burden in my heart. Lord, hear my cry. May your ears be attentive to my cry for mercy. Lord, hear the cry of my heart, my prayer for mercy. If you, Lord, keep account of sins, Lord, who can stand? You know our fragility. You are not a harsh judge. You love the humanity you created. 
Let Israel hope in the Lord, for with the Lord is mercy, with him is plenteous redemption. Plenteous, abundant, overflowing mercy, redemption, healing. And a third biblical illustration can also help us enter into the meaning of Areo and the sentiments and heart of Areo. And this is that lovely prayer in Daniel chapter 9. The people are in exile. The temple is destroyed. They have been uh, removed from their homeland. And all of this as a consequence of their sinfulness because they've strayed from the Lord. And in this really beautiful prayer, Daniel recognizes openly the sinfulness of the people, but he brings this to God, uh, begging for God's mercy. Give ear, O Lord, and listen. Lord, hear. Lord, pardon uh, for the sake of your name and so forth. So I would invite us now also to follow with our hearts as this is slowly read. And again, asking for something of these sentiments and asking that they be present in our heart when we pray the Lamb of God at Mass. Now, our God, hear the prayer and petition of your servant, and for your own sake, Lord, let your face shine upon your desolate sanctuary. Give ear, my God, and listen. Open your eyes and look upon our desolate city, upon which your name is invoked. When we present our petition before you, we rely not on our just deeds, but on your great mercy. Lord, hear. Lord, pardon. Lord, be attentive and act without delay. For your own sake, my God, because your name is invoked upon your city and your people. Let's get a little closer now to the words themselves of this prayer. Lamb of God, which is a deep biblical theme as uh, related to Jesus. When John the Baptist sees Jesus on the banks of the Jordan, that's exactly what he proclaims. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. John 1.29. And those words of John evoke the Old Testament prophecy in Isaiah 53. Though harshly treated, he submitted and did not open his mouth, like a lamb led to the slaughter, or a sheep silent before the shearers, he did not open his mouth. And then in the book of Revelation, when the angels, the living creatures, and the elders cry out, these are their words, worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive power and riches, wisdom and strength, honor, glory, and blessing. So I invite us now together to open our hearts to Jesus, the Lamb of God, who brings mercy into our lives, and to pray and meditate just briefly on the three parts of this prayer as we say it at Mass. Lamb of God, you take away the sins of the world. Have mercy on us twice and the third time. Grant us peace. I've mentioned uh, several times already watching St. John Paul II on television. So I'll just share one more of these experiences. And this was the final day, the final mass of that enormous World Youth Day outside of Rome, the year 2000. 
here was this 80-year-old man, physically frail, and speaking now literally to millions of young people gathered there before him. And he said the following words, and when he did, an enormous applause arose from this huge throng. Yes, dear friends, Christ loves us, and he loves us forever. He loves us even when we disappoint him. Now, I'm simply reading this, but it was punctuated by applause as these various things were said, because obviously these words speak to a place in our hearts that can be afraid. He loves us even when we disappoint him. If we could just really get a hold of that. He loves us even when we disappoint him, when we fail to meet his expectations for us. He never fails to embrace us in his mercy. How can we not be grateful to this God who has redeemed us, going so far as to accept the foolishness of the cross, to God who has come to be at our side and has stayed with us to the end? Wonderful question. How can we we not be grateful to a God who, when we approach him with all of our failures and sins and limitations, as we've said, approaches us in this way? Christ loves us and he loves us forever, even when we disappoint him, even when we fail to meet his expectations for us. He never fails to embrace us in his mercy. And that's the kind of heart that we ask for as we pray the Lamb of God at Mass. You've been listening to A Biblical Way of Praying the Mass with Father Timothy Gallagher. To obtain the book on which this series is based, A Biblical Way of Praying the Mass, The Eucharistic Wisdom of Venerable Bruno Lanteri, visit EWTN.com, the website for the publisher, EWTN Publishing. To hear and or to download this conversation, along with hundreds of other spiritual formation programs, visit DiscerningHearts.com, or you can find it within the free Discerning Hearts app. This has been a production of Discerning Hearts. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. We hope that if this program has been helpful for you, that you will first pray for our mission. And if you feel us worthy, consider a charitable donation, which is fully tax-deductible, to help support our mission of bringing free spiritual formation material to the world. But most of all, we hope you will tell a friend about DiscerningHearts.com and join us next time for A Biblical Way of Praying the Mass with Father Timothy Gallagher.